Hey folks, the booking is coming right up, but first I want to talk to you about something that I'm really excited about, and I think you'll be excited about it too. It is a new Warhorn Media podcast. Wherever you download your podcasts, you just go there, you type in the world we made, you hit the search button, you go there, you find the world we made, you download the first episode, which dropped this week, you listen to the first episode, and then you go on the, if it's iTunes or wherever, you go and you give it five stars, unless it's a service that has a hundred stars, in which case you give it a hundred stars. You do not give it five stars because that would be a very poor rating. The point is the world we made is a new podcast from Warhorn Media, the second podcast we've ever done after the booking. Is it the best podcast we've ever done? Or might that crown still sit upon the head of the booking? Well, I will leave that for the historians to decide when they write the book that's called, you know, the two great Christian podcasts. It's probably what that book will be called. Yeah, they'll have to decide which one's number one and which one's number two. For now, all we all we know is we have two great podcasts. We have the booking. So you listen to that first and then you go and you listen to the world we made. It's a podcast produced by yours truly and also produced by Jake Menzel, the pastor who's a master of reading. I think it's really good. It's been a lot of work that we've put into it and we're really proud of it and excited about it. This first season is all about homosexuality. What's changed? What does it mean? What part did the culture play? What part did the church play? Uh, How are regular Bible-believing Christians supposed to respond? I think some of the answers might surprise you. I think some of the answers won't surprise you at all. They'll be like, oh, yeah, well, that was in the Bible. I knew that. But I think uh, there's a lot of interesting stuff. The point is, go, download, listen, give it five stars on iTunes. You know what you have to do. Anyway, uh, Murder on the Orient Express, here it comes. So uh, take it away. Nathan? Coming up next, there's been a murder. A murder of what? Your expectation for what a podcast can be. As the bookening reads, that hideous strength. Crap. <laughs> What's that? This book called Murder, murder on, the on the Orient Express. Express. Murder on the Orient Express. Choo choo. <laughs> <laughs> My name is Nathan Roberts, and I am your humble and obedient host, joining you yet again for another week. And I'll tell you folks, I am sick. Sick as... What's something that's sick, Brandon? People in New Mexico with a bubonic plague. <laughs> for that example. Is, that is one example. <laughs> that is example, one example. <laughs> are there really people not like, as sick as them. Are there really people in New Mexico with the bubonic plague? Apparently. Like the actual bubonic plague, or just like... I think it's the actual. Andy was telling us. I read about that this, in a headline. That people in New Mexico are sick with the bubonic plague. Uh, three cases. All right. Well, okay. I'm I'm as sick as one of three people in Mexico, New Mexico, Mexico or New Mexico, New, New Mexico. Mexico, old Mexico, regular New. Mexico. No, New New Mexico. I'm as sick as one of those three people with a bubonic plague in New Mexico. So why do I sound so cheerful and exciting? Because I'm a fantastic actor. Got my dairy drink. Got my Starbucks here. Brandon, as we were walking in together into the beautiful Warhorn Studios, he said to me. Nathan, I don't want to be your mom, but uh, that dairy drink is just going to make you even more sick. Thanks a lot for not being my mom, Brandon. (laughs) You're welcome, Nathan. (laughs) That's true. I do feel a lot more like crap since drinking that dairy drink, whereas I felt about as good as I have all day after taking some DayQuil before I came in here. However, shut up. (laughs) (laughs) I will. Yes, sir. (laughs) You're in my world now. Welcome to my world. You know that song? No. 
Well, the person who doesn't know that song, I'll introduce him first. He, of course, is Brandon Chastain. He is the scholar, we call him. As we have from the very first episode, we've called him the scholar who's a baller of reading. How do you feel about that title, uh, Brandon? It's growing on me. It's growing on you. I like it. So <laughs> it started out, you loved it. Yeah. And and your the esteem in your eyes has even grown. I screwed that sentence up. The esteem <laughs> in your eyes, comma, the esteem has grown. Has grown. Is growing. Is growing for that this title, the scholar who's a baller of reading. Yeah. Did you know the term baller before we used it? To no. describe you as the well, scholar, I had heard it, but I didn't know the like. This is baller, yo. Etymology. When you hung out on the streets yeah. with your your homies, yeah, and that's such. what I say all the time. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's a little uh, that's a little insight into the life of Brandon Chastain. Brandon, I understand you're very busy these days. I am very busy. Right? Do you, to, you want me to explain why? <laughs> sure. I'm sure our listeners would love to know. Uh, why. If there's one thing that people love, it's it's, it's long introductions where we talk yeah. about our personal lives and stuff. So what's uh, what are you busy with there, Brandon? Work. Interesting. <laughs> would they like to know the details of work, Nathan? <laughs> I doubt it. Yeah, I don't think they would either. <laughs> we are also joined by... Could it be? Do my eyes deceive me? <laughs> no. I don't know why they would. <laughs> because they've got that New Mexican bubonic plague. <laughs> I was hanging out with some New Mexicans the other... No, I wasn't hanging out. I've never hung out with that. I don't know if I know a New Mexican. You guys know New Mexicans? There's a New Mexican restaurant, I noticed. <laughs> like, no, it's here in town. Oh, it's right over Mexican. by... What's it called? Across from Lucky's. El Ran- Is it El Ranchero? Has anybody seen this? <laughs> I'm pretty no. sure. It's got like a turquoise roof. You're hallucinating. Oh. <laughs> I probably have the bubonic plague. made this plague. up. Jake, uh, unless my eyes deceive me, how I was, Jen Brandon, you were saying something. Oh, I said every time I have a kid, I have a new Mexican. My wife is a quarter Mexican. I didn't know that. I didn't oh. know that about your wife. Either. You find something out new every day. I messed that sentence up too. But that's okay. I popped up on uh, white chocolate mocha frappuccino. That's what I get because I want to have diabetes by the time I'm 40. And I get some day quill because it makes me feel better. Those are the two things that I get or got today, in fact. But the main point of that is that we're joined by the pastor who's a master of reading. Commander Daddy himself, Jacob Mensel. How you doing, Jake? I'm great. How are you, Nathan? Uh, I, uh, not, I'm kind of... <laughs> I'm a little sick. <laughs> I don't know if you, you heard. <laughs> I wasn't paying attention, though. <laughs> there's, there's I was this, staring out the window. There's this New Mexican... Did you say something bub- about... There, there's a New Mexican bubonic <laughs> plague going around, apparently. I sure if I read that headline, it, right? You have it. You have it. That's too bad. <laughs> I've got it, yeah. Those New Mexican... I shouldn't say anything. We were causing a panic. <laughs> we need to be very racially sensitive after the one-two combination of cotton and chumbawamba and all that stuff oh, yeah. that we've had That's in our weird. last couple episodes. No, but the bookening... We embrace every race. Is that not correct, Jake? Yeah. Hawaiians. That's actually the only race we embrace. That's the only race that we embrace. So because your face. What? what? Oh, no. Keep <laughs> going. Oh, Brandon. Oh, you, go. you are always free to jump into any rap. Uh, you had it. It's established. I said, so in your face. and then That's the only race that we embrace. So in your face. What's a race that rhymes with face? A big disgrace. A big, big disgrace. There you go. Oh, Jake. Mm-hmm. Jake, wow. he is our rapper. Yeah. Jake is, if there's one thing that we know, <laughs> the rapper in the group is Jake. Um, Jake, how are you doing today? I'm fine. You're wearing your Jesus at IU Clear Note Campus Fellowship t-shirt. That's right, I am. And uh, how do you feel about diversity, Jake? I feel like diversity is diverse and, and do you, good. Do you guys appreciate embracing every race, sex, color, creed, uh, <clears throat> political affiliation? Sure. Brandon? Yeah. <laughs> Sure. Then you guys will be extra excited today because the bookening 
as a bastion of the bastion of diversity that we are, we're breaking the glass ceiling at last. We've talked about it. We've had people complain about it and say, why don't you have a woman on the podcast? And I've said, it's not a doing the dishes podcast. Okay. It's a podcast about critical thinking. So obviously you're going to have men on it. Um, (laughs) I don't know if I should feel good or bad right now. uh, (laughs) I'm relying on your lack of critical thinking to be able to not be able to figure that out. Uh, (laughs) uh, (laughs) No, the bookending, of course, we embrace every race. We embrace everything. We embrace everyone. The bookending is known for its diversity. And that's why we decided it was time to break that glass ceiling. Time to bring an end to the gentleman's club that is the bookending and have a woman on. Yay! Yay! Here, here. And that woman, of course, is, uh, well, her initials, they begin with D. The D is then followed by an M. The D stands for Danielle. It does. The M stands for McNeely. Indeed. She's Danny McNeely. We already <laughs> clapped oh, for yeah. her. Yeah. Yay! <laughs> Danny, tell, tell us why you're on the show today. The correct answer is, by your good grace, sir. <laughs> because you asked me to. <laughs> by my good grace. Um, you were on the Actually, show. Actually, Jake asked me to. Jake asked you to. True story. Uh, um, uh, no, but I was, I, was, I was pleased that he did it. Or, <laughs> he was pleased that he did it. Is that the right? Yeah. I was pleased that he done it, that he did it. And uh, Danny, uh, you're, a, you're a woman. True or false? You're True. a woman? True. Multiple choice. You're a man, woman, or child? Woman. <laughs> Use the words I am and a woman in a sentence that makes use of an ad- ad- adverb and an adjective that describes color. <laughs> <laughs> I am happily a woman wearing gray. Very good. Thank you. Very good. (laughs) We're having Danny on because she is a woman. And and if there's one thing that I've noticed is that women, they love their Agatha Christie. They love to read Agatha Christie. And I don't understand it. I don't really understand. I mean, I guess we won't get into that quite yet. Um, But they they love to read. Every woman on the planet likes to read Agatha Christie. True or false? False. But you, you like to read Agatha Christie. Mm -hmm. And I'm every woman. And you're every woman. It's all in me. (laughs) (laughs) Therefore, true. For the purposes of the bookending, you are every woman. You represent the entirety of womankind. You are going to either do your sex proud, the fair sex, as I like to call it, or do your sex shamefully. I'd like to avoid that. (laughs) The entire reputation of womankind on the bookending lives or dies according to you. Bring it on. Wow. Okay. There you go. Oh, yes. You're, she's a strong woman. That's what we like. Strong women like that Wonder Woman. Jake, you like that Wonder Woman? She runs around in her underwear. She kills the Nazis. She's <laughs> yeah, not a, so much. Yeah. She's a, basically just a biblical womanhood personified. Yep. An Ezer woman. How do you if, feel about those Ezer women? You like those Ezer women? I abstain. You abstain? <laughs> you plead the fifth? Danny, you're a woman. You, 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 you go to our church. You're married to Who? Alex McNeely. Alex McNeely. And Alex McNeely, he does the books for Warhorn Media, right, Jake? That's right. How, that... would, you, how would you rate his service? Five stars. As an accountant a and a guy. What would you call Alex? What would you call Alex? What he, do you call Alex? D- like honey boo boo or something like that? <laughs> what do you call him? I usually call him Al. Al. 
Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's horrifying. For, War- <laughs> for Warhorn Media, Alex does all of our financials, but then he also, if you've ever picked up a copy of a book like Daddy Tried, which mm-hmm. you should. Yes, you should. Mm-hmm. Available now on Amazon, Walmart, Barnes & Nobles for the low, low price of whatever price it is. Also available <laughs> now at Audible, so you can listen to Pastor Bailey read it. That's right. Alex proofread and typeset all of our books. and uh, Really well. Very, very well. He's He's fantastic. So mm-hmm. there's that, but that's not all that Alex does, right, Danny? Right. What else does Alex do? Uh, he's also the campus director of Clearnote Campus Fellowship. The campus, wow. The <laughs> campus director of Clearnote Campus Fellowship, which is the job, as tri- fun trivia, that you used to have, Jake. Is Th- that that's right. correct? Um, we started Clearnote Campus Fellowship, the campus ministry to IU, what, 10, ten years, years ago? 10 years ago, when we were freshmen. In Bloomington. Yeah, and Danny was uh, a freshman in our very first class, along with Alex. They both were, and now they're happily married, and they have taken over the reins, so to speak, for what, two or three years now? Uh, three years. Three years Three now. years. Yeah, yeah, so Danny and Alex lead the college ministry of our church together, and... They're awesome. Yeah, mostly because Alex worked me out of my job. (laughs) (laughs) At a certain point, I remember you describing it to me and saying, I realized that Alex was actually doing everything, so he might as well have the title. (laughs) That's right. (laughs) That was pretty much it. (laughs) Yeah. Alex is a competent, hardworking man. You're married, and life is is good. It is. And you like Agatha Christie, true or false? True. We'll find out more about that in our context section Danny, we have a context section. Oh, I know. Uh, oh, you know. You yeah. actually have listened to the book name. I listened before. to the book name. Do you, do you mean baggage check? Oh, oh yeah. yeah. Not. I'm sorry, Brandon. I didn't <laughs> mean to right. step on your check, your thing. <laughs> it's all right, Nathan. But just back away. Just <laughs> <laughs> like she will not be <laughs> giving her cuts. Okay. Um. All right. You guys ready to talk about murder on the Orient Express? Yeah. Let's yeah, do it. All aboard. Choo choo. All right. Let's talk about murder on the Orient Express. Hey, what's that sound? It's the guns going off. It's Brandon Chastain. He's firing the guns into the air. <sighs> he bang, is bang, right bang. there. <laughs> <laughs> He's the contextual Texan. Yeah. <laughs> Yeehaw. <laughs> <laughs> the contextual Texan, of course, is the part of the show where Brandon. Now, Danny, how would you rank this part of the show? It's my favorite. It's Danny's favorite part of the show. Oh, no. The women love it. <laughs> the women love this part of the show, Brandon. Um, this, um, this is Alex's favorite part, too. And the men. <laughs> it's pretty much everyone's favorite part. Everyone loves everyone this part. Be happy so much pressure all the right now. Just, just, <laughs> just be you. Just be right. you. I'm so scared. <laughs> Brandon, just my advice is be don't, dead. don't be yourself. Whoa. Be better. Be better. <laughs> all right. You normally would. I can rise to the occasion. Don't Get let people Rocky see inside. Music. Yeah. Everyone else. Done. Um, the Connection with Texan, of course, if this is your first time listening to the program, go back and listen to episode one. We talk about Pride and Prejudice. We think that Mr. Bennett was bad. That's our hot take on that one. We think Mr. Bennett wasn't very nice. He was a Danny, monster. You oh. think Mr. Bennett deserved to be on the Monster Squad? You're pretty convincing. That's right. We were pretty convincing. <laughs> it might actually have come up in like episode two or three, though. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, I think it came up in episode definitely. two, as a matter of fact. She has a good recall. She's a fan. Hey, when are you going to sign up for the Patreon? Um, Maybe I'll put I, all your episodes behind the paywall. <laughs> <laughs> well, <laughs> I was considering it, and then Jake told me that the Mysterious Phantom was going to show up behind the paywall. Your favorite character. Fan favorite, the Mysterious Phantom. Yeah. He's fantastic. I'm, uh, well, because of the booking, I forced myself to read Gilead, which okay. was not my favorite experience So far, life. so good. And then I listened to the Mysterious Phantom not and talk about Gilead. Gleaned all kinds of insights about that. <laughs> so um, not not something I'd probably bring up again. The Mysterious Phantom or Gilead? Mysterious Phantom. Or, uh-huh. I don't know. You know, he visited us not too long ago. For what? Part of practice. 
He showed oh, up. Oh, I haven't listened have listen to it yet. Well, you don't have to. I was going to reread it. Um, fun fact about that episode. It's got the mysterious phantom on it. Good to know. Towards Ma- the very end. Maybe he'll redeem himself. I think he does. Oh. I think I think he does a fantastic job. Although he is strangely met with withering disdain from from Jake and Brandon. You know, I heard the withering disdain through my phone as I listened to the podcast. You know, it's funny because it's almost it, it, the the disdain is actually so palpable that if just hypothetically the mysterious phantom was being played by some sort of an actor or something like that in theory <laughs> that person might actually feel a little bad at the end of her... that's how withering the disdain is maybe that person's just a really good actor maybe obviously the mysterious phantom is one of the great characters in podcasting false <laughs> <laughs> okay i'm sorry brandon you want to get to your context now as i've started to say three times now the contextual texan is the part of the show where brandon provides brandon you're from texas true or false true brandon you provide context for the book true or false true brandon multiple choice a train leaves the orient yeah this is a multiple choice (laughs) (laughs) all right people all right so what brandon's gonna do he's going to usher you into your favorite sub segment now he's gonna talk to you about murder on the orient express and agatha christie brandon take it away well he's got his notes this time i have my notes there aren't too many of them though that's okay it'll be it'll be fine i've got a few notes and i dare say danny might be able to Throw something in there. Yeah. She's certainly welcome to if she She's wants to. She's got notes that she was taking. She's got notes. She probably She's... should do this segment. Yeah, probably. Gonna do the you want to take segment? over? Mm-mm. You can wear my cowboy hat. <laughs> take the guns. That's so kind. <laughs> I'm not from Texas. Oh. I've been. You've been. Well, mm-hmm. that, that that counts. Thanks. <laughs> Are we ready? All right, let's do Mr. this. Mr. Texan. Um, this, is, this is fun. We get to introduce a whole new genre today. So we have. I, this is the first time we've talked about detective stories, I think. So we'll start as we usually start with the bio of the author. So let's jump right into that. So Agatha Christie was born in the late 1800s. She was not a successful writer at first, had her first success in 1920 with The Mysterious Affair at Stiles. Is this one that you've read? I don't know. I've read a lot of hers. But, but it was her first big success because it was the first time that she introduced Hercule Poirot. And he kind of made her career along with the other lady who's really famous. Miss Marple. Miss Marple. That's the one. And during World War II, I believe it was World War II, or yeah, it would have to have been World War II. This is just a fun little side fact. She worked at a pharmacy where she got knowledge of poisons that she would then later use in a lot of her stories. Um, I think I read somewhere there are over 50 deaths by poisoning. Yeah, it was one of her most popular forms of killing people. (laughs) Right. When it wasn't gruesomely murdering them by stabbing them over and over again. (laughs) Uh, We should say this. there will be spoilers, folks. Oh, yeah, and since just about the only point of reading an Agatha Christie novel is to not have it spoiled until Agatha Christie spoils it through her prose, I don't know. Listen at your own risk. We're going to talk about the ending to this book. Um, anyway, I'm sorry, go ahead. Well, she was born to an upper middle class family, had a very happy childhood. She was married twice, I believe, right? Yes, she was. And was abandoned once by Mr. Christie. Actually, I mysteriously, yeah, and she herself mysteriously disappeared after his disappearance. And there is a famous moment in Engl- English history where they they tried to find her. Dorothy Sayers actually went to her house, 
Conan Doyle hired a medium and gave her one of her gloves to try and find Agatha Christie. And why haven't they made a movie out of it? I don't know. Well, it Dorothy, is, Dorothy Sayers references that in one of her books. It, does she? That's the, right. The it's, glove uh, and the medium body and stuff. It's out yeah. in there. Yeah. And then what did she say when I've read the story before, but it's been a long time. I read it in one of those dumb, like the mammoth book of unsolved mysteries or something like that. What's the, what's the, she said she couldn't remember what happened to her or something like that. Is that true? Yep. A little nerd. uh, There is a doctor who episode based on this. Yes. Her disappearance. I, I, I have, I have seen it. Anyways, you can go and watch that if you really, (laughs) doctor who's a big fan of Agatha Christie. Right. As is the entire world, because that's the one thing that we do have to come to terms with, especially you, Nathan, Mm -hmm. is the fact that outside of the Bible and Shakespeare, her books have sold more than anyone else. Big three. Yep. She has billions of copies sold. She has more translations of her books than any, any other books. It's over a hundred languages that her books have been translated into. She also yeah. has um, the longest running play in history. That's right. Is that, what is the that? The Mousetrap. The Mousetrap. It's been continuously running since 1952. Wow. Very good. And it's really good. I've Not like it. at the same, that was such a dumb question. I shouldn't even finish this. They actually, the same actors and actresses, <laughs> no, Nathan. Uh-huh. <laughs> no, it wasn't that dumb. It was just like, has it been playing at the Paoli in London? I know, it's been at, the, at West End. Is actually, I think it's the same theater. Yeah. Okay, so I, I, Over 25,000 performances. Because I was ready to be impressed if like, you just meant like it's always in review somewhere. No, actually, you actually mean they're only the, allowed to do one non-West End production a year, so it's so it's is a big it deal one of your West dreams End. to go see this live? Uh, it, now that you mention that, maybe Alex, if you're listening, twenty <laughs> fifth <laughs> anniversary idea, twenty fifth anniversary. That's pretty far down the road, man. Is that far down the road? I guess. Yeah, we, we married seven years. Oh, well, 10th anniversary Ooh, idea. Yeah, yeah, Alex. Are you going to watch our, gonna watch our kids for us? Yeah, not on his Warhorn Media Tower. Um, <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but, sorry, go ahead. Oh, so yeah, so she's one of the most, she's very prolific also, 66 novels, 14 sets of short stories. As far as I know, the one play. I don't know if she has Oh, more. no, she had more plays. More plays. Um, Witness, Witness for the Prosecution. Love uh, Witness for the Prosecution. Ten Little Indians. Or, then There Were None is made into a play that's different from the book. Okay, well, she and also then wrote, There Were None is her most popular novel. What's that? Oh, and Then There Were None is her most popular novel. Understandably. An interesting fact about that is that she would often change who the murderer was that for the, when she would, because she would adapt a book into a play and vice versa. She would do things like that. I, I believe, And Then We Were None in the movie version that she wrote from the old movie version and the book and the um, play of Ten Little Indians. I think there's three different people that did it in all three there's some trivia for you. She also wrote some romance novels under a pseudonym. Yeah, that's right. I've never read them. Mary Westmacott, maybe? Yes, I've, I've seen them before. Similar to Stephen King. He, had a, he has a pseudonym, right? Yeah, Richard Bachman. Bachman. Yeah. Does he write romance novels? He does not. He's not <laughs> that similar to Stephen King. <laughs> he writes detective novels under Richard Bachman, right? Anne oh. Rice used to write erotica under a name of some weird name. Didn't J.K. Rowling write a detective novel under a pseudonym? Yeah, because yeah, she, she wanted it to be a big hit and everyone was like, who is this? And then nobody cared for it. In the Stephen yeah. King case, people actually did put two and two together. They were like, this uh, mm-hmm. this weird paperback guy that's writing novels reads a lot like Stephen King. I think someone, <laughs> and then someone, you know, a, a journalist or somebody traced the mail and figured it out, I think. But Bachman was, nobody knew that Stephen King was Bachman for a few years. <clears throat> yeah, but a lot of movies have been based on her books. A famous one in the 70s with Albert Finney playing Poirot. And I think Death on the Nile, is that an, a movie? Yeah, yes. that is. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then you have the adaptation that's coming out and the inspiration behind 
one of the, at least one of the inspirations behind what we're doing this. The <laughs> Kenneth Branagh film. A so. cheap cash in. Of, there you go. There's a plug. Go see it. <laughs> go see the Kenneth Branagh film. I'm sure it'll be wonderful. I like me some I'm Kenneth sure Branagh. We'll live stream us watching it, right? Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the other theater goers will be very annoyed. <laughs> There you have it. That's Agatha Christie's bio. Does anybody have anything they'd like to add? I will add that I was just reading a review by a critic I like named Michael Deirda, who was talking about a book by the gentleman who oversees the Christie estate now, where he put together all of Christie's notebooks. Hmm. And that it was pretty interesting reading about her, just what you could glean about her process. I'll just read you a little bit from this article in the Washington Post. For the most part, Christie worked out her ideas in cheap school exercise books. The attractive end papers here show the faded blah, blah, blah. As Christie says in her, blah, 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 I'm sorry. As Christie says in her autobiography, she would pick up a notebook at random and jot down an idea or outline a, a plot twist. Elements used in a single novel might thus be scattered through several notebooks or material about three or four different mysteries might be touched on in just one notebook. The one labeled number 35, for instance, contains 75 pages devoted to five little pigs, 75 about one, two, buckle my shoe, eight pages about something called N or M that we don't know what it turned into, and 25 pages of general ideas. It also contains shopping lists, telephone numbers, and something to remind herself of a hairdressing appointment. But if you look through her notebooks, you'll find things like nitrobenzene. Point is, it sinks to bottom of glass. Woman takes sip from it, then gives it to husband. So if you just go through her notebooks, you'll see just like all the scattered things, which I thought was neat. And it was fun to, for someone whose arguably greatest strength was her plotting, it's interesting to know that she just had it all scattered in notebooks all over the place. And I'm not sure how she did it, but I thought that was kind of interesting. Yeah. Well, the whole intricacy, as you're pointing out there, that she would draw the details together that is elemental to the style that she was a part of, this new genre, which is what we're talking about, detective fiction. And so the structure of detective fiction was really solidified with, I guess, with Arthur Conan Doyle is where we see the earliest real detective stories, even though they go back further than that. So let's talk about detective stories. Let's Um, talk about detective stories. Let's do it. It came out of, I think we've, have we had a gothic novel yet? Eh, Not really. We've talked about the gothic novel. We haven't had one. We haven't read Wuthering Heights. That's no, the famous one. No. Or Frankenstein. We've, the closest we've came is Dracula, but that's not really... Yeah, that's where we talked about gothic novels. Right, so. that's where I we was talked. trying to remember because we had talked a little bit about it. So when we do that, I always like to tell people they can go back and listen to that if you really want to know about gothic novels. But some of the elements there are you have the old mansion, you have the um, interesting people who get involved with the mystery, and then you have the mystery at the heart of it. And so that those are the elements. You can see it in Turn of the Screw, an American version of a well pseudo american uh, henry james is a strange character right you can set him aside right now you also have it with edgar Allan poe who people often look to as being the father of the detective story and i had to write down the name augustin dupin dupin who was i'm directly, sure you've read these oh yeah directly well yeah i mean obviously yes i mean know, i've read the murders in the rogue morgue he, the, he, those four stories or whatever it is what is it murders, murders in, in the, the room morgue, morgue purloin letter purloin letter the murder of Marie Aykroyd, or mm-hmm. no, that's... That's Roger that's, Aykroyd. That's Roger Aykroyd. That's Agatha Christie. The murder of somebody or other. Those were directly the inspiration for Conan Doyle, were they not? Yeah, they were. What Al- what Edgar Allan Poe introduced to the Gothic, to the mystery novel, was the detective. And so before then, you didn't have this figure quite like the detectives that we know today and the elements that go into the detective. So he's an eccentric person. He's extraordinarily brilliant and charismatic. 
And those are the elements that kind of make up the detective. And so if you think about the famous detectives, you have Sherlock Holmes, you have Lord Peter Whimsey, you have Father Brown, you have Hercule Poirot. These guys, they all kind of fit that mold where they're otherworldly type figures. They come in with their uh, massive intelligence and are able to analyze the scene and just observe things that no one else can observe. And so as far as I remember, Augustine Dupin, or Dupin, however you say his name, falls into this category. Right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. One of my favorite early examples, and it actually would, it's kind of fun. You, As I was reading this, I was ranking my favorite detectives. One of my favorite examples is in Bleak House with Mr. Bucket. Yes. But he fall, he follows that tradition as well. He comes in and with intelligence and acute observation is able to solve the mystery. And it's in the 1850s where we see this, what we now take for granted as a trope that, that we all enjoy. You see it with Sherlock the TV series. You see it with all the CSI shows on TV. You see it with one of my favorite detectives, Foyle. Has anybody ever seen Foyle's War? I've watched a little bit of it, yeah. But yeah, so they follow in this tradition that was actually started in the 1850s and is actually a fairly, in the scheme of storytelling, a fairly new tradition. And so one of the most famous progenitors of it is Wilkie Collins. The Moonstone. Who wrote The Moonstone, yeah, which T.S. Eliot called the greatest detective story. And Dorothy Sayers also called one of the greatest detective stories. He was one of Dickens' protégés. So if you haven't read The Moonstone, you should. I guess we probably will one day. Yeah, sure. Um, By the time you get to the 1880s, you get the most famous of the detective authors, Conan Doyle with Sherlock Holmes, who is the iconic detective, the one that everybody looks back to, but he isn't the original. That's the main point here. And then after Conan Doyle, you have what's called the Golden Age. And the Golden Age of the detective novel, you know, the the queen of the Golden Age, the one who everybody says brought it in and who oversaw it. ever could it be? Let me try and deduce. It is. Using my little gray cells. Use, use your little gray cells. <laughs> you're going to be so excited to hear. <laughs> I can't figure it out. You're, you're just going to have to reveal it. Dame Ag- Agatha Christie. The Dame A.G. herself. Yep, that's right. And so that's where she fits into this history of the detective novel is with Hercule Poirot and Miss Marple. She is seen as both following in the train of these great detective writers, but also being the crowning achievement. So there you have it, Nathan. <laughs> I liked the part where you said train. Yeah. <laughs> the train. We're reading about murder on the Orient Express, <laughs> um, which is a train. Oh, that was so on purpose. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Pun mm-hmm. intended. Pun intended. So just to then think about structurally what the mystery is and what it was at her time, it kind of had a set form. You had the detective, we talked about who he was, and then you also had the structure that it was supposed to follow. So somehow you have a large group of people that end up together. There's usually one person who is the obvious target. You have to have, everybody has to have some possible motive. And then there's the element of the least likely suspect. But one of the things that Agatha Christie did was she wouldn't always go with the least likely suspect. It would often be um, a fun twist on that. Or maybe it would be the person you suspected in the first place and trying to throw you off the trail. And so she had some fun with these elements. And the best part is, oh, you also had the, what are you calling it? The investigation, not the investigation, the, where you, the, where you sit down, a qual- the, inqu- the inquisition. Right. Interrogation. The interrogation. Thank you. Not the Inquisition. <laughs> the Inquisition. Nobody suspects Nobody. the Spanish Inquisition. <laughs> <laughs> and if you th- if you think about it, you look at shows like Sherlock today. They still have these same aspects, even if they're doing twists on them. House. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. There we go. That's all I got. It's all your context. Yeah. Nothing to add. Nothing to add. Um, just to give a couple supporting facts, Guinness World Record lists Christie as the best-selling novelist of all time. Her novels have sold roughly to what? Thousand. Nope. A wrong. Billion. 
what? Billion. Billion. Yes, that's right. Two billion copies. Interstate claims that her works come third in rankings of the world's most widely published books behind only Shakespeare and the Bible, as Brandon said. According to the Index Translatium, she remains the most translated individual author, having been translated into at least 103. And then where we're none has sold 100 million million copies danny's got wow. those, those she's got those gray cells they're working overtime to answer these questions <laughs> the mouse tra- trap as danny said holds the world record for longest initial run yes um Woo! now we're just playing fill in the blank um <laughs> It opened at the Ambassador's Theater in the West End. I guess I should have read my notes and I would have been able to answer my own question earlier. It opened at the Ambassador's Theater in the West End on the 25th of uh, November, 1952. And as of 2007, is still running after how many performances? If you can get this one, then you really do have some gray cells. Uh, 25,000. Oh, you looked that up. You just said it a few minutes ago. Oh, crap. <laughs> <laughs> my little gray cells. Uh, she was educated by... Her mother. That's right. She was homeschooled. Uh-oh. One of those. <laughs> you Maybe that's why I got problems with it. You're um, the homeschooler. Mm-hmm. Twice in her life, she saw Hercule Poirot. 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 Poirot, whatever. Uh, she saw him. What do you yeah. mean? I don't know. <laughs> I didn't bother to read beyond that. I think she just saw some dude that looked... I don't know. Maybe she was crazy. Her, her mom was... Uh, like claim to be a mystic psychic right, of some yeah. court, of some That's sort. Right. Yeah, and I've seen she does some mystic, mystic kind of stuff. I saw one of those. I think it was a, a Miss Marple series that had like some ghosts and stuff kind of show Probably. up, like some seances and kind mm-hmm. of mystical. Arthur Conan Doyle was into that kind of stuff too. Yeah. Yep. That's why he gave her glove to the. To the yep, yeah, that's true. Tying it all together, Christie's autobiography makes how many references to her disappearance, Danny? None. And then there were none. That's right. A lot of people say that the disappearance was just a publicity stunt. A lot yeah. of people said that at the time, too. It's it's always been a weird. And I think it did garner her a lot of publicity and help drive sales and stuff like that. So who knows? Brilliant one if it was. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, what if, uh, I guess we don't have any. Buddy Jake, we're just to disappear. If who? Jake, we're just to disappear. If Jake just disappeared, yeah. The booking <laughs> downloads would go through the roof. <laughs> there was that time he died. There was that time he died. Uh-huh. Oh, I wanted to read to you guys from Wikipedia's page oh, right, about yeah. uh, mystery fiction. Wikipedia had... <laughs> oh, no. Danny? We were looking at this earlier. As a human being with a brain, I think you will particularly enjoy this quote from Wikipedia. I cannot wait. Shoot, I just pulled up a picture of Edgar Wallace by accident. <laughs> How did you do that? <laughs> I was on Edgar Will- Al- Wallace. <laughs> uh, I may or may not be a nerd. Uh, who knows? Although, let's face it, only jocks listen to and perform in shows like The Booking. Uh, what was that on? I think it was just under mystery. Let's do it while they lift weights. Right. <laughs> if people don't know, Danny can actually testify to this. Me, Brandon, and Jake, as we always do, are in fact... Lifting weights. That's right. Right now. Yeah. <laughs> Doing bench presses. On my 20th rep. For my 20th rep. Nathan's over here spotting me. See, that's what I was trying yeah. to pull what that was called. Spot me. I, I used to occasionally listen to the booking while working out at the Y. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. Hey. Would you say that the booking saved your life? In one way or another? Sure. Yes. I knew it. <laughs> but that is a tagline. <laughs> the booking saved my life. In one way or another. And <laughs> she won't even get on the Patreon page and give five measly dollars. Uh, what was this under? This better be worth it. Oh, it's <laughs> so <laughs> worth it. It's worth it. It's worth it. <laughs> oh, I forgot to mention that right after the Golden Age comes an age you're very fond of, the hard-boiled 
Yes, yes, yes. Age. Um, since you gave me an excuse, I'll talk about that for a second. I thought that's where you were going. That's uh, why I was setting you up. No, no, no. <laughs> that's actually not where... I was going to get there during baggage, actually. But, yeah, I'll just get there during baggage. It's yeah. Um, mystery. Disambiguation. Oh, come on. It's a mystery. Yeah, it's a, I need to use my gray cells to find... You know what? Instead of using Wikipedia's dumb search function, I'll use the amazing search function of Google and get there much faster. It's entertaining to listen to people look up things on a podcast. Okay, fine. Jake, you read it. Okay. (laughs) This is amazing. Danny, are you ready to think and grow in your understanding of life? Okay. boy. According to Wikipedia. Per Wikipedia. The genre of mystery novels is a young form of literature that has developed since the early 19th century. With them so far? So far, so good. The rise of literacy began in the years of the English Renaissance, <laughs> and <laughs> what bold statement there, Wikipedia. <laughs> the rise of literacy began in the years of the English Renaissance. That's why and, nothing was ever written. And and <laughs> as people began to read over time, they became more individualistic in their thinking. Oh my right. goodness! No one ever had an individualistic it had thought. Nothing to do with as the people. Of books. <laughs> As people became more individualistic in their thinking, they developed a respect for human reason. Oh, wow. And <laughs> good for them. And the ability to solve problems. Oh, oh, I see where this is going. <laughs> this is groundbreaking. Should I keep going? Wait, is that, was that it? Or I don't remember. Perhaps a reason that mystery fiction was unheard of before the 1800s was due in part to the lack of true police forces. Oh, that's actually good. <laughs> before the Industrial Revolution, many of the towns would have constables and a night watchman at best. Naturally, a constable would be aware of every individual in the town and crimes. Oh, yeah, it was cool. really just that first paragraph that was, yeah, that was the tickling million. us earlier. Um, yeah. <laughs> um, it's nice to know that no crime was ever solved and no one ever read anything before the Renaissance. That's right. And it was group thing. No, nobody even solved problems right. well, or had yeah. respect <laughs> for human reason. No, no. They, right. There was no such thing as an individual. They wouldn't That's even right. be able to right. understand what a detective was doing. Right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so... How could they? do solving a crime. What? You're thinking? You're you're analyzing. You are an individual who's not me. (laughs) Whoa. (laughs) What? (laughs) Burn him at the stick. (laughs) We found a witch. (laughs) Um... Anyway, thank you, Wikipedia. <laughs> we love you as always. You are a free online encyclopedia created and edited by volunteers around the world and hosted by the Wikimedia Foundation, if ever there was one. <laughs> um, and you are full. And the, my best favorite part about that quote when I found it the other day was that it's sourced. <laughs> it is sourced. What are the sources <laughs> for uh, it's sourced? It's sourced. There are two footnotes there. One is a short history of the mystery archived from, well, there's just a link, mm-hmm. web ar- web.archive.org. And then there's, all your sources. <laughs> there's <laughs> mysterynet.com. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's the other source. One place that I go <laughs> is about human reasoning. It's <laughs> mysterysource.com. Mysterynet.com. Mysterynet.com, I apologize. Yeah, check this out, guys. This is the way... That website looks. It's <laughs> like an that's angel fire page from that's legit. I, from the nineties. You know, yeah. a website's good when you're shocked that a MIDI doesn't start playing. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's why I get all my news from Infowars. Mm-hmm. Yep, Infowars and Breitbart. Those are the official news sources of the booking. That's not true at all. Um, all right. Well, that was some good context, Brandon. Great context. Thank you. 
as always, everyone's favorite segment. Now we're moving on to the sl- slog that is the rest of the show. Um, <laughs> Just turn it off. Yeah, you can turn it off <laughs> here, folks. Turn it off, yep. Um, <laughs> what's that sound? Oh, it's the airplane! Indicating baggage, uh, baggage check. Part of the show where we talk about our baggage. Danny, I will give you the choice of whether to go first or last. You want to go in the middle? You can't. If you wanted to go in the middle... You're not allowed to, but you can go first if you want to, or you can go last. What do you think? I'll go first. You go first. Okay, Danny. What baggage did you bring to Murder on the Orient Express by Dame Agatha Christie? So I started reading Agatha Christie around middle school or high school, I think. Middle school or high school? Something around there. I remember high school. I remember I had a collection of her plays and reading them very late at night huddled under the covers. The Mousetrap is a particularly creepy play. Um, Were they a flashlight? No, I had a a nice little lamp. How did this lamp slight... Um, transcend the covers. Oh no! I, 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 my head and the book were outside the covers. Okay. I'm need so the you rest to of me was be more accurate in your descriptions. I'll work on that from here on out. Thank you. Um, you're welcome. Um, for editing my speech. You're welcome. But you can feel yeah. free to thank me as often as you need to. Um, <laughs> thank you. <laughs> so you were in high school. Yeah. So I read. Um, Do you remember who got you into it, or no? I don't know if maybe. Were you a voracious? Reader? Yes. Yes. Of what? Um, what were some of your other favorite books growing up? So I read a lot of the Black Stallion series. Did you read the Black Elementary. Stallion and Satan? I did. That book has always sounded terrifying to me. <laughs> what? Satan is his grandson or Satan is like he's a horse, right? It's a horse. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's kind of disappointing when you know that. But <laughs> he's, he's, time, he's wild and the crazy. The first time I found in our church library <laughs> the Black Stallion and Satan, <laughs> I was very excited. Um, yeah. But, well, like like all good horse stories, it starts out with a wild and crazy horse that a child tames. Oh, yeah. Is that how all good horse stories start? That's how, yeah, that's how all good horse stories What come. about the horse and the boy and his boy? I guess the other way around there. A wild boy and a... Uh, it was a, Lewis was playing with the form of good horse stories. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> um, so you liked horse stories. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and what else? L- little Women. Little Women. My, still my favorite book. down the street. Little Women. I think that song was written like by Louisa May Alcott, wasn't it? What's that? Yeah. That song was written by Louisa May Alcott. One of her number one hits. Mm-hmm. So you liked, so you liked like, girl stuff. Would yeah. you consider yourself to be a girly girl kind of girl? Girl. Actually, I was a I was a major tomboy. You were a major kid. tomboy, but you mm-hmm. secretly read. Oh, I loved horses and dolphins and Lisa Frank, all that girl stuff. What's Lisa Frank, guys? It's I don't like know what this is like your trapper keeper was in your folders were Lisa Frank. The right? folder, the folders had those brightly colored dolphins and the, the tigers color, with the multicolored stripes. And, yeah, that's Lisa Frank stuff. Nineties, eighties, nineties. I don't remember. I remember. Sweet you didn't Valley have sisters. So. I didn't have sisters. I didn't have sisters. No cousins. Yeah. Um, and yet, I'm so good with women. Um, <laughs> it's amazing, really. Yeah, it is. Um, thank you. Now, now it's my turn to thank you. You are welcome. Um, so I read a lot of Agatha Christie. I've read a lot of her works. Uh, I've never actually read Murder on the Orient Express. Until now? Mm-hmm, until a couple weeks ago. And what is your favorite work by Dame Agatha? Oh, that's hard. I, and Then There Were None is so good. Really? Have you read it? No. <laughs> <laughs> it's really good. I know the ending. Also, the ending sounds weird. Why'd you read the ending? I didn't read the ending. I mean, I don't know. It's cultural. You know, it just... When you have as big a brain as mine it picks up things you know i see things on sonar on sonar yeah <laughs> by osmosis by osmosis absorbs i actually rub, rubbed heads with them, someone that was reading the novel did you put it under your pillow and sleep on it i did 
That's mm-hmm. actually what I do. Have you ever fantasized, Danny? I have this fantasy about what if I had a 24-hour period where all I had to do was to hold a book and I would absorb its contents and know mm-hmm. them forever. What would I do with that 24 hours? What, what library would you go to? The Monroe County Public one, probably, because <laughs> it's the closest one. But which books would I do would and how would I make myself awesome? Like I could I could like just hold an atlas and suddenly I'd know everything about the world. I could hold a dictionary and I'd know every word. You could hold a you have to DIY hold a, carpentry book? D- exactly. Mm-hmm. I can wow. become handy. I can hold like a... And so like like a foreign language textbook. But after 24 hours, this magical spell wears off. So I have to use it carefully to absorb the maximum amount of knowledge. So one question is, do I hide in the library and or break into a bookstore so that I can make the maximum use of my 24 hours? Mm-hmm. Do I? And then the other question is, what books do I absorb? How long does it take you to absorb a book? 30 seconds. Even a long one? Even a long one. It doesn't matter what it could be. The Cat in the Hat or Moby Dick. Either way, 30 seconds. You've got Dude, a lot you've of got books. got a lot of books. Yeah. You don't need to think too much about this. <laughs> you think you just go to the library and... Yeah, go to the reference section. Oh, wow. I could be the smartest man in the world. For real. No, let's, so make, let's make this happen. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, let's get that. <laughs> you want to do- donate to my GoFundMe? <laughs> get Nathan the magical powers. So you would go to the library if you had this magical power. If, you, uh, if my math is correct here, <laughs> and you were able to consecutively without a break, which, you know... Give Unlikely. yourself some time to go to the bathroom or whatever. But if I'm just bringing a stack of books with me to the bathroom. <laughs> if you could consecutively do it without a break, you would be able to download or upload 2,880 books. You should take a friend with you to, to yeah, just, grab I'd books go. for you. I'd pass you books. Yeah. Oh, yeah, totally. you need you assistance. You guys would do that for yeah, me? We'd Absolutely. That. We'd be right there. You could do, we could do a live stream for the book name. <laughs> live stream my magical <laughs> absorption <laughs> of knowledge. We've got to make this happen. <laughs> <laughs> You know, the funny thing about that kind of fantasy is that at a certain point after you spend like 10 minutes fantasizing about that, you suddenly realize this is a fantasy. I could just make it so that I know everything. Like that could be the fantasy instead. And you're disappointed. Because but you need limits to make it interesting. Limits are more interesting. It's like, the, what would I Gotta do with a million dollars is a so much like more interesting thing to think about than what would I do with a billion rules. dollars. Yeah. Um, so you would go to the library. Would you go to the library or to Barnes and Nobles if you had this magical power, Danny? Oh, the library. Oh, the library. You yeah. think? Yeah. Yeah. You will be able to read more James Patterson novels if you go to Barnes and Nobles. Barnes and Noble are going to sift through a lot more multiples. That's true. Yeah, I think the library actually is a pretty good bet. Yeah. Because a lot more individual books. Would you absorb and a, lot more, a lot older books too? Would you library. absorb novels or would you absorb I'll open this to the whole floor. Would you guys like would you want to just like, oh, I never really want to read this novel. I'm gonna download it, or would you mostly do informational? Like I'd like to speak French, so I'm gonna I would totally mostly do informational yep. stuff. Uh-huh. The kinds of things that I wouldn't actually want to read. So you'd just become a carpenter, a car mechanic, a machine a, guy. A reference library, guy, yeah. A refer- yeah. Isn't this yeah. just the Matrix? Oh, where the, she's like, give me a helicopter download. Yeah. I know Kung Fu. I know Kung Fu. <laughs> <laughs> it's basically the Matrix. Yeah. Did I mention that I can kick people in this fantasy? <laughs> and dodge bullets? Maybe I don't want to come to the library with you. <laughs> I wouldn't kick you, Danny. I'd kick well, like, thanks. you know, there'd be like, People that are like, don't let that Hugh, guy Hugh absorb Weaving. the world's knowledge. And they'd try and stop me. And then I'd kick them. It's getting more interesting. <laughs> <laughs> what would you do, Brandon, that with this power? What would you, you... I suddenly say, Brandon, I've, made, I've given you the power to uh, absorb knowledge by holding a book for 30 seconds. And then you'll know that book cold. If there's vocabulary in that book, you will know that vocabulary. Um, what, where would you go? What would you do? I'd do the information stuff, too. You want to read a book. You want to read fiction and poetry. But it's the stuff that you don't have to read and enjoy. That's where I go. I'd like it'd be nice Without to, a doubt. 
It'd be nice to have some poetry memorized. Yeah, yeah that's true. Yeah. Yeah. I, I would just have it in your mind. Uh-huh. Be able to call it up and yeah. think of Yeah. Know. Good point. So I think I maybe would read some more, some non-information stuff. Well, remember, all you got to do is grab an omnibus of the complete works of Shakespeare. Hold the it Norton for Anthology. You, you got, got it, it all. Yeah. Norton yeah. Anthologies would be your best friend. Oh, yeah. Yeah, man, yep. this is good stuff. <laughs> just go to the IU library. They've got all sorts of anthologies. Yeah. Would that be a smart thing to do or a dumb thing to do? I wouldn't do that. It'd be dumb if you wanted children's literature, too, because I'd, <laughs> so I'd, I'd, I'd memorize some fairy lit. tales and stuff like that, so i just tell them to my kids without having to read the books. Yeah. Ooh. I actually recently read about a woman who said she purposely memorizes books like Hop on Pop so she can close her eyes and turn the page and read to her kids. Yeah. And just lean back and nap. And eventually you just memorize well, she recites it, it to them. <laughs> it's like the millionth time I've read. Good night, moon to Lucy. There was one. What's that? So that's a mom hack if ever there was one. Uh-huh. Well, this has been some interesting baggage. Thank you, Danny. Dude, I have some more baggage. <laughs> I know. I know. <laughs> Go on. Um, so I, I love, and then there were none. I remember reading that in high school. I thought we were assigned it, but Alex said we weren't. So. You and Alex were in school together? We met in freshman year English class. Oh, really? Oh. Did you see him like walking down the gymnasium with a... <laughs> no, we, we met in English class and we would trade the crossword back and forth. The crossword? Mm-hmm. Wow. Was yeah. one of the... Clue, did he put it in a clue that said, like, uh, relationship? Uh, well, no, he would get as far as he could and then pass it to me and I'd get as far as I could and pass it back. I see. Mm-hmm. Who got farther? Um, now we can both do them by ourselves, so that's... Oh. You've Good. grown apart. That's sad. That is sad. No. Maybe one day you'll get old and you'll have to trade them back and forth again. It'll That's be a like a really lot. sweet, beautiful yeah. country song. Right. One of you, your vision will start to fail. Yeah. One of, one of us will go. Yeah. Yeah. My crossword, baby. Hold my pencil steady. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> I would listen to that song. I would Someone write that song. <laughs> pointed a gun at me. Maybe. Are we in a, a pickup truck during this song? Yes. Yes. Oh, By the no. link. You actually crash sitting on a porch out of a porch. A swing. porch. Yes, a porch, porch swing. swing. That's good. I think just one of you goes senile, and you're basically he goes senile, like the notebook. Yeah, basically, and you're doing the crossword for him. And at some point near the very, but right before he dies, he comes to and he sees and he's like five across love and then he's like (laughs) (laughs) and then you're like i'm gonna lay down next to you and die at the exact time time and it's gonna be so sweet and ryan gosling will kiss me in the rain i hate the notebook so much anyway your baggage yeah so as i remember as a kid or as a teenager i liked poirot a lot and then as i as i read them now i prefer miss marple really Mm -hmm. so i don't know this i don't know if we'll i'll mention it now um so poirot is big into uh, the little gray cells and the psychology and all this. Miss Marple's shtick is that everyone she meets, she compares to someone she already knows from her small town. So she meets this new guy in town and he's so much like Bobby the apothecary's son. And of course you find out later that Bobby the apothecary's son killed somebody. So they're, they're slightly different. Miss Marple's stories are a little, I don't know. She, she's not this big charismatic figure yeah. like the detective yeah, she sort is. She defies that. Yeah, she does. Well, mm-hmm. that's, I guess I don't know her that well. But that's sort of what makes her eccentric, Mm -hmm. too. Well, she's... She's surprising. She does the best everyone sort of... Am I wrong? I haven't really seen a lot of Miss Marple. And when I say seen, I mean on the TV. Uh Because that's how I get most of my Agatha Christie. Um, She's kind of one of those people that they always kind of underestimate her, Uh right? Like, they're always like, who's this old bag here? She's not going to... And then she's like, I just solved a mystery. She uses it to her advantage, too, to Mm -hmm. sort of... To sort of... She can blend into places and... Yeah, overhear things, Sometimes she pretends to to be a a stupid Mm -hmm. old woman and 
Yeah, so she's a little... I don't I, I like her. I, I enjoy the Miss Marple stories. Like, the really, really good ones are the Poirot. There's one... Well, and then there were none, which is not a Poirot or Miss Marple. She wrote a number... She wrote a lot of stories that weren't with either of them. Right. There's... Mousetrap's not either of them, right? Mm-mm. Uh, Tommy and Tuppence are... Uh, is that her? Yeah, I don't know if they're a married couple or brother and sister who solve crimes, but she's a, a number, number of stories with them. Hmm. They're like flappers or something, right? Or something younger, kind of... They're younger, yeah. yeah. But she's... He, Tommy's not a flapper because I think only women are flappers. Well, so she's they're flapper. like jazz age kids. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Like Fitzgerald characters. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. They wear those hats like newsboys wear, like the newsies. They wear newsies. Like the newsboys. <laughs> like the newsboys. Yeah, <laughs> Christian band. <laughs> they're like my favorite band, <laughs> the newsboys. The news- who I've seen in? No, I haven't seen. I saw a new song in concert. I've seen the newsboys in concert. I've seen them oh. a couple times. Twice. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Right on. You guys yeah. are so cool. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I think I, I think I saw the Breakfast in No. Was it the Breakfast in Hell tour? Or was it the uh I saw the oh, they standing did up, stand up to the microphone or whatever. Yeah. Oh that's a Captain Crunch's When your toast one. is burned and all the milk has turned and Captain Crunch is waving farewell. When the big one finds you may the song remind you that they don't serve breakfast in hell. Wow. The booking was written today by Nathan Alberson, uh, Jake Menzel, Brandon Chastine. I just said it was written in by you guys. Ah, what the heck? You can have the credit for this episode. Uh, it was such a good one, so strong, had such a strong ending, had such a wonderful, so many twists and turns. You guys are like the Agatha Christie's of podcasting. The booking was written and produced by and uh, Brandon Chastine today, Jake Menzel. It was performed by Nathan Alberson and our very special guest star, Danny McNeely. Let's hear it for. Guys, yay! <laughs> and you can go to warhornmedia.com for more great content, including content from Danny McNeely herself, who has written a few articles. Oh, yeah, for including us. some great it's articles true. by Danny McNeely. One of them had a picture by the Mormons. We had to change it. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> and that is the best way to tell that story. Yeah. Check out uh, Danny and Alex's work in the college ministry at Jesus at IU.com and go ahead and open your wallets and give to support their ministry while you're at it. That is exactly right. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. Uh, send money to Danny in an envelope with her name on it and her address and some stamps. Would you like that? I would like that. Uh, you can also f- support Brandon's oil business you need oil done or you need uh <laughs> yeah, yeah. do you make Your oil brake pads changed <laughs> come on down to my house <laughs> yep brandon's oil. when we say brandon's oil business it may sound fancy but actually he just i'll change your oil for yep you. he works at grease monkey yep. thanks for listening everybody thanks for being on here danny thanks for having me i love being diversity mm-hmm. you're welcome